0: Come before you on this special Sunday, a Sunday that we remember the resurrection. Lord, we ask that it would not only be on this Sunday we remember the resurrection, but each and every day of our lives. Lord, we ask you to superintend the singing, the special music, Lord, the preaching, the time of invitation, all that is said and done, that it would be done to your honor, to your glory. Lord, that we would magnify the resurrected Christ this day and each day that we live to you come for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated at the book of Romans chapter 5. And we have many, many scriptures to cover if we'll cover everything in, the, in my notes this morning. And uh, we'll trust that the Lord will give us direction there. But Romans chapter 5, and we'll start reading in verse 6 down through verse 12. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, Romans chapter 5. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man... Some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world in death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. These verses describe in, in a very short place the entire message of this book called the Bible. We often have a tendency to try to divide things up, to make things uh, smaller than than they really ought to be. We like to examine parts of the whole. At, at Christmas time, probably the most gla- glaring example is this, is everybody loves a baby. Amen? I mean, do we have anybody here that doesn't love babies? See me afterwards, we'll sign you up for counseling and try to help you through that. Babies are lovable things, are they not? They're wonderful. But you know the neatest thing about a baby is you pick that little baby up and it looks up at you and smiles and you say, good, I've done something nice. That's the way people like to treat Jesus. And that's exactly what cannot be done, my friend. Jesus didn't come to be a baby in a manger. He came to die on the cross. He came to pay the price for all sins for all time forever. There is not one sin, sin by one human being that Jesus Christ didn't pay for while he was on the cross... We read there, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. That makes a great text, Memorial Day coming up, the 4th of July. I think of all the great men that have laid down their lives that we can be free. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, while we were still the enemies of God, While we were still in total rebellion against him and everything in his word, we were without strength, it tells us, in verse 6. Christ died for the ungodly. Paul said, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And if Paul was willing to put himself in that category, should not you and I. It's Easter Sunday. Happy Easter. Amen. We remember the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I I prefer the Eastern European greeting. The first person says, he is risen. And what is everybody else supposed to say? He is risen indeed. Amen. Now let's try that. I'm going to say he is risen. And then I want every one of you to say he is risen indeed. All right, here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Isn't that cool? They tell the story of one of the communist meetings. And um, the party member was there with a priest and was telling him that, uh, that communism had victory, and he said, Let me prove to you that it doesn't. And he went out to the crowd that was assembled there to praise the state and the communist and made, simply made the statement He has risen. And every one of them, without even thinking, said, He is risen indeed. But it takes more than that to get saved. You see, this morning, where I'd like to start with, is I'd like to start with the problem. We live in a troubled world, do we not? And it seems like the trouble gets greater every day. Every time you think one problem is solved, uh, another five or ten crop up and and each one worse than the first. And you could lose your mind trying to figure out all of the crazy things that are going on. Why do people do what they do? I, I find it best not to ask that question. Would it do you any good to know why that person just drove down the street and shot those people? Would it it help? I think if we knew why people sinned and all of their reasoning in their convoluted minds, it would be even more confusing than it is not knowing. Uh, The Bible sums it up this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I'm glad the Bible doesn't tell me to investigate sin. But it is the problem. You see, it would be very easy for me to get up in this pulpit this morning and preach about all the ills of our society. I was passing out tracks on Dipmars and some young lady came by and I went to hand her a track and she looked at it. And it was the one with uh, the picture of Joey as a baby and uh, Brother Marshall talking about how can a man be born when he is old. And and she started shaking all over and said, this is that anti-abortion stuff. Well, I'm glad we affected her in such a way. There are still a few of us that believe abortion is murder. I said a few, it sounded like a few. There's still a few of us that believe sin is sin, amen? And that by sinning, we don't accomplish anything good. Don't believe that telling a little white lie will help you. never does. There is nothing good that comes out of sin. And it would be easy to preach against all the sins and the ills of our society. But that's not the problem today. The problem is that sin is personal. The problem is that this week, there are things in my life that, were, that are called sin in the Bible. I have failed God. And if every adult in this room, if every living person would be honest, you would have the same record. The Bible says, death is passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You know, when you stand before God, He's not going to say, well, your parents abused you and your your environment was bad and you couldn't help the way you turned out. God is going to look at your personal record and your personal choices and he's going to hold you accountable for the things that you have done. You see, God is still a holy God. He has not lowered his standard of holiness to fit us. He has not compromised his righteousness. Someone asked me one time, Well, why couldn't God just allow one sin into heaven? Well, how many of you have read your Bible? How many sins did it start out with? Just one. And sin upon sin upon sin down through the history of mankind has brought us to this day that where no honest person can look around and say, hey, we live in a good place. We live in a place full of sin. Now, we can live in better places than other people do, but there's no place in this earth that is not uncorrupted by sin. And if you found such a place, don't go there because you're going to take your sin with you and corrupt it. That's just the way sin works, amen? You see, Adam and Eve... The Bible says here, for by one man, sin entered into the world. We understand that Adam sinned against God. When he willfully chose not to be deceived as Eve was, when he willfully chose to eat of that tree and to disobey God, he sinned against God. But I want to challenge you, Not only did he sin against God, he sinned against every human being that would ever live on this planet. And I want to challenge you and myself. When we sin, we first sin against God. But we also sin against others and against all mankind. No one lives in an island. No one lives in a vacuum. When you step off the path of righteousness, when, when you fail, when I lose my temper, guess who suffers? Everybody around I've got to get God's forgiveness. But then I ought to do some repair work as much as is humanly possible to the people around me, amen? Sin is real. There's not a one of us that hasn't been affected by it. And though we can look at our society and all of the ills that are in it, the answer for abortion has never been in protest, in changing laws, in constitutional amendments. The answer for abortion is getting into the lives of those young children before they're taken advantage of by the filthmongers of this world. That they could be taught righteousness and holiness and freedom from sin and its bondage and its shame. The answer is not bigger jails. The answer is leading people to Christ before they get old enough to deserve to go there. That's personal sin. I think of the tragedies that have plastered our papers. Why would one man decide that it's okay to kill another? but why would one man decide it's okay to attack another? I mean, it just goes back and forth. The answer is Jesus. We know that. We know the answer. We're here to commemorate the resurrection of the Lord. And the the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is wound up in one word. This word is not just a part of the gospel message. The the resurrection of Jesus is not just another story in your Bible. It is everything that the Bible is about. From Genesis to Revelation, I wish that we had the time. I've got enough references in here and enough that I've forgotten. I could keep you here till next Sunday just trying to illustrate this point. We want to take the stories of the Bible and separate them. The story of Jesus Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection is the entire story of the Scripture. Nothing else means anything without that. I love reading the Old Testament. In our Bible reading schedules, we often in trying to encourage you to keep up. Say, how many of you gotten to the chapter where the offering was a golden spoon of ten drams and a silver pitcher and, and it repeats and repeats and repeats and, and people say, oh, pastor, how do we get through this? God puts it in there for a reason. One is he wants to teach you a little bit of faithfulness. Amen. The other part is he wants to show us how exacting his righteousness is. The God of this book called the Bible does not sweep sin under the carpet. He doesn't pretend that it didn't exist. He doesn't pat you on the back of the hand and say, Oh, that's okay, I understand. You see, the one word that the Bible is about is the word forgiveness. You see, we all have sin and sin is personal It's sin that separates us from God. It's not one sin that God will allow into heaven. Everything must be perfectly righteous. Otherwise, it's going to become perfectly corrupt. So my question this morning is, what are you doing with your sin? Not, what are you going to do about someone else's sin? What are you going to do with your personal sin? Now, do we need to take time this morning? Maybe I should have gotten little notepads and pencils and passed them out. And take a few moments and just write down a few of your sins from this past week. That would be a good exercise, would it not? as long as the person beside you couldn't read your paper, amen? That would be shameful, would it not? I'm glad that in the scriptures, I don't have to tell another human being my sins. I can bring them directly to God. He is the one that forgives sins, amen? Sin is personal. Even when Jesus in Mark chapter 2, they brought a man up, uh, lame and, and disabled with the palsy. The Bible calls the disease. He could not walk. Jesus always addressed the real problem first. He said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. How many of you remember what all the Pharisees and Sadducees said? He speaks blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God only? And then Jesus said, listen, so that you can know that I can forgive sins. Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And the man did. And they were perplexed. How can can this man forgive sins but God heals and only God forgives sins? And it's very simple for you and I today. Jesus is God. That's how simple it is. That's why He can forgive sins. But I want you to understand something about forgiveness. I wish we had time to really build this up. There is no forgiveness without payment. That's the problem that we have today. We want to forgive people without payment. You have money, you have bills you can't pay, you go to bankruptcy court and they forgive you the debt. Who pays those bills? Well, nobody does. I mean, it's just written off in the books. Well, let me tell you something, it's not written off in the books. Every person that goes into bankruptcy court puts his debt upon the sole person upon everyone in the nation. And you wonder why your dollar is worth so little. Somebody said it's worth less. Yeah, just put a period after that and you got it. Amen. It's because we've taken the debt and we've just said, somebody's going to pay for it someday. Wait a minute. There is no such thing as forgiveness without payment. Why do you think we have so many people in mental institutions all through our country? Well, it's because someone won't forgive them for what they have done, or maybe they won't forgive someone else for what they've done, and the silliest of all is they won't forgive themselves for what they've done. How do you not forgive yourself? Well, let me explain it to you as simply as I can. I'm not a psychologist. I hope I never delve to those depths. But we think forgiving someone else is just saying it's okay when it's not okay. That's why we can't forgive. We expect others to tell us that we're okay when it's not okay. Okay. And we beat ourselves up because we know that it's not okay and we don't know what else to do. Let me tell you something. Jesus came to bring us true forgiveness. But forgiveness without payment is not forgiveness. Study the Old Testament law. If you stole, let's say, you stole a lamb of your neighbor. You went and picked that thing up, took it home, and had it for dinner. You got found out. Guess what the payment was? The payment was four lambs back to the person you stole the lamb from. How many of you think that's all? Because that wasn't all. Because then you had to take a ram and all of the attending sacrifices to the priest at the temple... And offer the sacrifices at the temple. And if you couldn't do that, if you couldn't produce that, then you were to be sold into servitude so that your wages would be confiscated and the payment would be made. You say, that's harsh. Oh, wait a minute. Every law and ceremony in the Old Testament was to teach us about Jesus. There's no forgiveness without payment, my friend. We could spend the whole morning here. You see, the problem is sin. The answer is forgiveness. But it's not this fake, lighthearted garbage that people take and call forgiveness today. It's not from the goodness of your heart. It is from the supply and the payment that God has made in your place which you could never pay. People have wondered and contemplated and tried to understand the Bible doctrine of a place called hell. And, and the Bible's very plain. It is eternal. And it is suffering beyond your wildest imagination. And the question then comes, how could a God of love make a place called hell? Uh, excuse me. It's to illustrate the depth of his forgiveness. See, if you were to try to pay for your sins, God could just vaporize you. But would that illustrate the depth of forgiveness? Absolutely not. God said, listen, this is how deep my forgiveness goes. If you were to try to pay for your sins, if you were to try to atone for the wrong that you have done, I have to give you an eternal death in a place of terrible suffering and separation from God, because that's how long it would take for you to begin to plumb the depths of the forgiveness that I have offered to you through Jesus Christ. Do we get that this morning? You see, the problem is sin. The answer is forgiveness. But it's not just this lighthearted, well, I forgive you, I know you didn't mean it. Liar, you know they meant it. You know they wanted to hurt you. And you're just going to pretend and you wonder why things are never repaired between human beings. The husband comes home and says, honey, forgive me, I, I, I did wrong again. But I've forgiven you for 25 times. Well, the Bible says 70 times 7. Oh, wait a minute. There needs to be some payment there. There needs to be some proof that the wrong that has been done is not going to be repeated over and over again. But let's illustrate this in the divine dimension. How many times have we sinned against God? Does he come to us and say, now listen, I want you to show me that you can live righteous? That's the essence of all false religion. God doesn't save you because you can do something for him. God doesn't need you. He is not enriched because you've come to church this morning. God is not sitting there saying, oh. They showed up on Easter. What a blessing. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible rejoices that we assemble together because we will hear the preaching of this book called the Bible. But you see, when Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? The three greatest words in all of history, say them with me. It is is finished. He paid for every sin that was ever sinned. The payment is not something that I can do or something that I can bring to God. It's something that Jesus has already done. Every judgment of God, every sacrifice, we could take time, the Passover lamb, God's judgment went through the land of Egypt and every firstborn died. Except where the blood of the sacrifice was painted on the doors. That's why it's called Passover. Because God's judgment passed over. Somebody said, well, the angel of death. uh, That's not in the Bible. It says the Lord. Just a little while later, A year later, the tabernacle was set up, and uh, Nadab and Abihu, the eldest sons of Aaron, the priest, who had been consecrated to that role, went into the tabernacle and offered strange fire from before the Lord. And the Bible tells us that fire came out from God and burnt them up in their garments. A little while after that, Dathan and Abiram and 250 Levites and the stories in the Numbers chapter 16 would stand before Moses and before God saying, we don't have to listen to Moses, we're righteous too. And old Moses came out and he said, come up here so I can talk to you. And they said, we're not even going to grace you with our presence. And so Moses said, Everybody get away from them. The children of Israel were camped. 600,000 men and their families, all in one uh, confined area. And so you could see people taking down their tents and grabbing their stuff and running with their little ones. And it it says that Dathan and Byram stood in their tent doors. And Moses came out of the tabernacle and looked at them and said, Listen, listen. If these men die the common death as any men, then you'll know God didn't send me. But if God does something new and the earth opens up her mouth to receive them, and before he'd finished spoke, speaking, the ground disappeared underneath of them and they began to fall alive into the pit, the Bible says. It says the children of Israel ran from their screams. Why did God do that? Because he's trying to help you and I understand something today. There are not many roads to heaven. There are not many ways to approach unto God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, forgiveness is the answer. The question is, what are you doing with your sin to obtain that forgiveness? Every law, every ceremony, every sacrifice pointed to Jesus Christ, every judgment said there are no alternatives. It is either my way or death. Even hell itself teaches us that God's forgiveness is eternal as well as His judgment. But you know, some people have a problem with this fact that Jesus is God and that Jesus died on the cross. And how could one man's death affect The the lives and, and the souls of every living human being. I mean, what about all the people who died before Jesus did? Well, it's very simple. You see, only God could endure God's wrath and God's judgment and still be alive to tell about it. Only the eternal God could force into one moment of time the eternity of hell and its suffering and God's judgment and fulfill that judgment and pay for every second of it and make the claim it is finished. How many of you have ever read Isaiah chapter 53? Let's take a moment and just go to a few verses of that chapter this morning. Isaiah chapter 53. The prophet starts out with, Who hath believed our report? But look at verse 10, if you would. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. The Bible tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians that he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, if you ever listen to a preacher who says Jesus became a sinner you know you've got something you've got a liar on the tube. Turn it off. Jesus became the sacrifice for sins. He bore our sins. God transferred on to Him all of the judgment as if He were responsible for our sins, yet Jesus Christ Himself was never touched by it because He is God. You see, you can't pay for your sins. That's why Jesus had to pay for them for you. The basis of God's forgiveness is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen? You see, the problem is personal sin. The answer is forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. But let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have ever taken an advanced math class? I mean more than 2 plus 2 equals 4. They give you the problem and in advanced math, in trigonometry, they'll even give you the answer. Because what are they after? They want you to know how you got there. You see, just putting the right answer down on a piece of paper doesn't do much if you don't know the solution, how to solve the problem. And I use that as a simple illustration of there's not an honest person that's ever lived that doesn't understand the problem. Personal sin. Isn't that true? True. If you're honest today, I've met some dishonest people. I've never done anything wrong. You just lied again. Come on. Stop adding to it. And how many people really do not know that Jesus is the answer? I mean, I still believe that if we were to stop nine out of ten people on the street and say, is Jesus the answer? Most of them would agree, would they not? But how many have the solution? You see, the message of this book is not just a bunch of stories in history. It's about God proving His holiness, our sinfulness, and that the only answer is faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? How many of you remember the day when you trusted Jesus as your Savior? When you finally gave up your sin, you brought it to Him in all of its horror and its indignity and its disgustingness and its filth. And you presented it before a holy God. And Jesus took those sins because He paid for everyone on the cross, He didn't sweep them under the carpet. He reconciled them to the holiness of God himself. If you're in accounting, reconciling is a pretty important part of your business. You got to prove that that million dollars that is missing actually went somewhere. If you follow the headlines... God reconciles every sin that was ever sinned. Couldn't imagine being God's bookkeeper. That's why he does it himself. You imagine the library of books that contain the life record of every human being that ever lived. A certain number of those names are recorded in the Lamb's book of life who was slain before the foundation of the world. The book with the record of their sin has been removed off the bookshelf and every entry of every sin has been written, paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. Past, present, and future. Someone said, and we'll try to pick this up before the end of the sermon. But you mean if I just get saved and never do anything to please Christ, and ne- never, never live a righteous life, and never do one good thing, and all I do is sin, I'm still saved? Well. As Jesus died on the cross, how many of you remember the story of the one thief that said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom? What was Jesus' answer to him? Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. See, the Bible is very clear. You cannot accept God's forgiveness And go back out into the world and do whatever you want. God's forgiveness is not license. But it is not this give and take. It is when I understand God's forgiveness. We love him because he first loved us. It is a surrender of who I am and what I'm going to be to the person of Jesus Christ. See, the Bible only has one message. Christ crucified. As Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he said, unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. He said for the preaching of the cross is to them the perish foolishness but unto us that is which are saved it is the power of God Later he would say for I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified Don't try to negate Jesus to one small part of the Bible Every page is his revelation In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And without Him was not anything made that was made. He was the Creator. He was there in Genesis chapter 1. We go to Revelation chapter 1, and what does it say? This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Every word of this book is the story of Jesus As the disciples were trying to explain, excuse me, to the Pharisees and scribes in Acts chapter 5. They asked them a simple question, ought we to obey God or man? Do we obey you or do we obey God? The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye hanged on a tree. Verse 31, it says, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. So also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given them that obey him. We have a problem today. That problem is my sin. Is your sin is personal because no one made you do anything. Yes, you may have found yourself in a set of circumstances where you were forced to do something wrong, but let me tell you something, if you'll follow the words of God, God will keep you out of those circumstances. We have his promise in his word. The Bible teaches that with no payment, there is no forgiveness. But yet I want to challenge you, with no forgiveness, there is no salvation. To experience God's forgiveness, you've got to understand, the problem is personal. The forgiveness must be personal. You must personally come to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not just a simple mental assent. It is a surrender of my life and everything that I am to Jesus who paid the price for my sins that the price he paid can be attributed to my account that every sin that i've ever sinned and ever will will be reconciled forgiven because it is finished the question today have you been to the cross Can you personally remember that time when you went before the Savior and confessed your sins and believed in Him and trusted that it was finished? Someone said, I can't stop sinning no matter how hard I try. And my answer usually is welcome to the human race because that's where we all are. So, what do I do? Just give up? No. I give it to Jesus. If you took time every time you smoked a cigarette to bring it to Jesus and ask his forgiveness, let me ask you a question how long would you be smoking? Do you think you'd get over that? I think you would. If every time you lost your temper, you went to Jesus and talked to Him about it, how long would it be before the grace and the love of God filled you enough to take care of that thing? You see, we don't spend enough time with the Savior remembering His forgiveness and understanding what His forgiveness is and that's what gives us the callousness to go right back to the trough of sin over and over again. See, there's only one message in the scripture. God is holy. We have transgressed his holiness. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross so that we would not have to spend eternity in hell trying to. And if we'll confess him as our Lord... And our Savior, if we'll surrender ourselves to Him and put our faith and trust in Him, He will save us eternally. Are you living the resurrection? Or is it something that just happens on Easter Sunday? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that not one of us in here would just dismiss the verses that we have talked about, the things in the scriptures that we have explained today. Lord, that this is the only message that is in this book called the Bible. It is the Lamb's book of life, slain from the foundation of the earth. Wherein our names must be found if we're going to enter heaven. Lord, I pray that you would work in each heart and each life here. Lord, you understand that. There may be many layers of deception and self-deception that separate us between our soul, between your love. Lord, we ask that you would use today's sermon to peel back some of those layers so that your truth could penetrate deep enough that we would reach that time, that place the Bible calls repentance, where we bring our sin to a holy God because He paid for it. Lord, never let us forget the price of forgiveness. Lord, I pray that we would not grow so callous in our own desires, in our own thoughts. we would go back to where we came from. Lord, keep the image of the cross fresh. Lord, the image of the resurrected Christ coming out of that tomb. Let us live each and every day till you come in the light of the great truths of the life of the God-man, Jesus Christ. It is in your name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together. Have Brother Franz come and lead us in the